welcome back to Against Japanese Podcast. Happy New Year, and I hope everyone had great holidays. Today, I'm excited to present to you the audio recording of the online panel discussion I participated with a group of Japanese American or Nikkei activists on November 13th of last year, titled Nikkei Organizing. A community discussion on organizing strategy and developing revolutionary movements with members from J Town Action and Solidarity, Nikkei Uprising, and Against Japanism. The event was hosted and moderated by my friend Mia from Nikkei Resistors, based in the Bay Area, as part of her master's thesis project, and joined by representatives of two other US based. Nikkei and Nikkei led organizations, Zen and Henry from J Town Action and Solidarity, and Anne and Corey from Nikkei Uprising, as well as myself representing this podcast. J Town Action and Solidarity is, I quote from their Instagram bio, grassroots collective dedicated to revolutionary organizing and building community power in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. And Nikkei Uprising is a group of quote, Japanese American activists based in Chicago, organizing towards abolition and the collective liberation of all peoples. No cops, no camps, and no cages.、Unquote. The event was also inspired by an article by James Boggs titled Think Dialectically, Not Biologically. Which is an interesting and I would say quite heterodox critique of declassed, petty bourgeois, reactionary cultural nationalism in the black community Box was organizing in during the 1960s and 70s. While the article focuses on the class politics, more or less particular to black communities in the US, I think there are similar class dynamics at play. Within Nikkei communities and the Japanese diaspora today. I include a link in the show note if you're interested in reading it. It's not very long, so if you want to get a deeper understanding of the discussion and its overall context, you might want to read the article first and come back to this podcast after. We cover a wide range of topics and questions in this discussion. Including the question of Japanese-ness and cultural nationalism in Nikkei communities, the influence of Japanese imperialism on Nikkei identity, and the important distinction Kwame Ture makes between mobilizing and organizing. Finally, but not least, we discuss what it means when we say we are building towards revolution and what this revolution we're building towards is. Mia and other speakers kindly agree to have the recording of the event published here on Against Japanism for folks who couldn't attend the event live. And anyone who's interested in Nikkei organizing and the work these organizations do. I include all the social media information in the show note, so if you happen to live in the areas of their organizing and want to get involved or work with them, do get in touch with them. If you're listening to this podcast, no matter where you are, 
and currently not part of any revolutionary organizations, I'd highly encourage you to seek them out and join them. If you don't agree with the politics of the existing organizations in your area, you can always start your own organization with other like minded comrades. It's okay to start small, perhaps with a study group, find where the masses are, and develop your organization into something bigger over time. Remember that there is no shortcut to building militant, revolutionary mass movements. And it's going to be a protracted struggle going forward. Anyways, I really enjoyed the discussion and found it informative as well as generative. As I mentioned in the discussion, I'm the first generation Japanese immigrant living in Canada and quite new to Nikkei organizing, including the history of the wartime internment and the struggle for redress. And there is still a lot to learn. And think about what it means to critique and organize against Japanese imperialism abroad. I also recognize that a lot of my listeners are Nikkei and Japanese people living abroad. And some of you have been emailing me to ask when I'm going to do an episode on Japanese American history. So hopefully, this episode is the beginning of that side of my project. And I'm really excited to have connected with Mia and other comrades I share the space with here. Okay, without further ado, here is a live recording of the community discussion on Nikkei organizing, hosted by Mia from Nikkei Resistors, featuring Zen and Henry from J Town Action and Solidarity, and Anne and Corey from Nikkei Uprising. And yours truly, From Against Japanism. Enjoy. Did it have the, you're being、yep. recorded? Perfect. Yay. All right. So, with that being said, wanting to first sort of explain why we're here and how we got here.、Um, so, my name is Mia. I use they, she pro- pronouns.、Um, I'm a coordinator for Nikkei Resistors, and I'm currently a grad student at San Francisco State University.、Um, and this is actually going to be part of my thesis work.、Uh, to frame this, is that I've been trying to navigate what it means to be in academia while still being in service of the people. And again, that is a very complicated process, and we can hold that. But in sort of thinking about All of the time and energy I will be investing in a thesis.、Um, what does that mean to be to use that that can help better do the work、um, of the people and for the people? So, some things I was thinking about in sort of trying to understand what this work means is thinking about.、Um, Uh, as Asian American studies, as related to ethnic studies, is this is part of not only a field of study, but actually an epistemology.、Um, and Glenn Omatsu explains this that this is an epistemology that is community based, anti colonial, and liberatory. It is community based because it is rooted in the history of grassroots struggles in our communities. It is anti colonial because it stands in opposition to the mainstream epistemology of domination and oppression. It is liberatory because it provides the vision and tools for activists and people in our communities to achieve social justice and collective empowerment.、Um, and it's this last part that, I, that really brought me to thinking about this is like why I got into Asian American studies. This is why I want to organize, but really sort of struggling to think about what that is.、Um, and so in that process, I turned to another really、um, founda- foundational scholar and thinker,、uh, Paolo Freire. And in their book, when they talk about education, right, they also talk about it as sort of a strategy for、um, liberation and revolutionary work. 
So in chapter four, the raddest chapter of Pedagogy of the Press, uh, Freire writes, on the other hand, it would be a false premise to believe that activism, which is not true action, is the road to revolution. People will be truly critical if they live in the plenitude of the praxis. That is, if their action encompasses a critical reflection, which increasingly organizes their thinking and thus leads them to move from purely naive knowledge of reality to a higher level, one which enables them to perceive the causes of reality. If revolutionaries does let revolutionary leaders deny this right to the people, they impair their own capacity to think, or at least think correctly. Revolutionaries cannot think without the people, nor the people only with the people. And so this is very much how I thought it would be really awesome to be able to invite uh, a bunch of incredible organizers who I've witnessed doing incredible work in the community um, as a, in dialogue and discussion to help us think about uh, what is sort of the uh, tools and vision for our people um, and what is the road towards revolution that we should be building towards or working towards. So that's sort of, again, what this means and sort of connection to being attached to the university and the university space. Um, I think another important thing for me in sort of thinking about framing this conversation as Nikkei organizing um, is really sort of being intentional about what does Nikkei mean. Um, and so Nikkei, right, refers to people of the Japanese diaspora, but the Ni referring to the sun and K meaning threads, right? So it's connected to the thread of the sun being the sun goddess and this whole larger thing that I will um, around Japanese nationalism and Japanese imperialism, right? And so trying to think really intentionally of what does it mean to be part of that diaspora um, and also part of that very violent legacy. And so thinking about what is even Japanese identity um, and cultural nationalism and Nikkei cultural nationalism needs uh, means, I pull from this article um, that sort of helps us sort of think about how do we um, not allow ourselves to be sort of like stuck in this very narrow uh, point of thinking. So um, on this article is just called Minzoku. And so the meaning of Japanese Minzoku nation is very much due to the formulation in the late 19th century of the nationalist ideology that conceived Japan as a family of the family nation of divine origin. Most members of the family nation were perceived to be related by kin to one another and, and ultimately the emperor. Kinship, religion, and race were fused with one another to produce an intensely what intensely felt collect, collective sense of oneness. This nationalist ideology went into eclipse following Japan's defeat in World War II. Most recently, the myth of Japan as a distinctive ethnic slash racial nation resurfaced in a more subtle form as part of a resurgence of cultural nationalism in the 1970s and 1980s. Cultural nationalism of this period was closely associated with the dominant discourses commonly referred to as Nihon Jinron, which define and redefined the distinctiveness of the Japanese. It was widely held that Japanese patterns of behavior and thought were so unique that one cannot understand and acquire them unless one is born Japanese. It may be said that Japanese culture here is perceived to be exclusive property of the Japanese race. This type of thinking, which, which closely associates culture with race, is again reflected in conceptual ambiguities surrounding race, ethnicity, and nation in the Japanese word minzoku. In addition, there's a myth of Japan as homogenous, uniracial slash ethnic nation that is a strong that has a strong em emphasis on the homo homogeneity of Japanese society and corresponding lack 
of adequate scholarly attention to minorities in Japan, such as Korean, Chinese, Ainus, and Okinawans. Um, I would go further in saying that this is not only about the lack of adequate scholarly attention, but the ongoing right violence of the Japanese empire towards Korean, Chinese, Ainu, and Okinawan, or Ryukyuan, or Unchinanchi people, um, in this ongoing cultural genocide and current genocide. So how do we also not um, deny that that, the existence of that, when understanding Nikkei identity and how do we sort of bring that to the forefront is a big question that I'm trying to understand um, and excited to sort of think through the solutions and the responses with folks here. Finally, to sort of close is then what is this strategy for liberation? I think this is very much what I've been struggling to name and um, has been part of my journey as an organizer through Nikkei Resistors. Um, and so through my work in my master's program, um, I came upon this speech by Kwame Ture, and it really helped me think about what does it mean to be doing organizing work and what are some of the um limitations that I've been that I see around me. Um, and so on the difference between mobilization and organization, uh, Troy says, we say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very, 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 very easy. Since we are a people who are instinctively ready to respond to acts of injustice, anytime there's a little act of injustice, we can blow it up, we will find people who will come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. And so-and-so got kicked out of school because the teachers are unjust. Unjust, the people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are who are revolutionary are not concerned with these issues. We are concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. So these are some of the frameworks that um, guided our discussion questions today and hope that you all will be able to sort of uh, think through and reflect on this. Um, and so before we begin, I really just want to say thank you so much to our speakers today who are doing a lot of incredible work and have really prioritized to make time to speak with everyone today and share. Um, and I think just really a lot of um, great gratitude and joy in being able to be here with you all and learn with you all. And I also just really want to thank, um, as we start this conversation, our attendees for being um, present um, in community and really being willing to like think and reflect and apply what you've heard today. Um, again, I think this is the process that Freddie talks about around dialogue, around building together, um, and looking forward to this being the first part of us being in community and continuing to work together. So with all that said, I will stop share. Um, oh no, I lost. Zoom, come back Zoom. Cool. Um, okay, so I stopped shared screen so everyone can see um, and you'll be able to see our speakers. So to get us started, um, I'd first like for everyone to, all of our speakers to introduce themselves, the names, the organizations you're coming from, um, and any key theories, praxis, um, movements that influence your organizing today. Um, and so with that, I will go to, oh, I didn't choose someone. I will go to Corey, if you don't mind starting us today. Okay, thank you, Mia. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. My name is Corey Nakamura Lynn. Um, I use she/her pronouns. I'm calling today from Chicago, um, land of Council of the Three Fires, Ottawa, Ojibwe, Potawatomi people. I'm very excited to see a lot of our Midwest folks on the call as well. 
Um, I'm very honored today to be representing UK Uprising. Um, and, uh, oh, actually, Anne, do you want to go first to share the, the little bit about UK? Anne and I are both doing UK Uprising today, so we're going to tag sure, you a little sure. bit. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Anne. Uh, she, her from Nikkei Uprising. Thanks so much, Mia. Really excited for the conversation today. Um, and yeah, so we, um, to share a little bit about like some of the, um, like the things, the the movements and the theories and organizers that have influenced us in Nikkei Uprising. Um, we're a, a Japanese-American and Nikkei um abolitionist organization in Chicago. So we support a lot of like anti-incarceration work um, and kind of hold an abolitionist vision that we connect also to our own community's history. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like our work really is like influenced on and tries to follow the leadership of a lot of um, like many generations of black abolitionists organizing in Chicago. Um, and also we're very small scale and scrappy. And so I feel like um, groups that have kind of used these sort of very small um, and more like informal networks of organizing like mutual aid groups um, and that have emphasized kind of like slow relationship building and community building. Um, and then we also formed around uh, organizing Chicago communities um, to try to uh, like bring folks from Chicago to to for solidarities, um, national actions around uh, detention centers. Um, family and child detention centers. And so that was definitely part of um, our influence as well. And I'll say that, yeah, something that I think is a real big um, context for our community is that um, my, like my family came over after um, World War II incarceration, moved from the West Coast and then came to Chicago. And uh, we did have at that time, there were not that many Japanese Americans in Chicago before incarceration. Um, a big wave came over afterward. And that's kind of the context um, and the basis that we as Nikkei Uprising organized in, which is this like community with long um, or short, but deep roots um, and a small and strong community. And um, the way that that community really took care of each other in the Midwest in a mostly white and black context during that time is kind of um, something that we're rooted in today. Awesome. Thank you, Nikkei Uprising. Looking forward to chatting with you both. Um, Jazz folks, would you like to go? Hi, everyone. Um, Zen Sekizawa. She, her pronouns, calling from Los Angeles, Tongva land. Um, we are a grassroots intergenerational group uh, organizing in Little Tokyo. Um, we study Mao and we do serve the people work in the form of a power up, which is a mutual aid uh, event that happens every Saturday in Little Tokyo. Uh, we just had our 94th power up in a row yesterday. Um, we do that in partnership with a Black unhoused activist named Theo Henderson of We the Unhoused podcast. Um, I'm also going to be tag teaming with Henry Aoki, um, also in jazz. Go for it, Henry. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm Henry, Henry Aoki. I'm, uh, like I said, also in jazz. Yeah, so we uh, we formed in uh, 2021. Uh, so we were coming on the heels right of the pandemic, as well as on the uprisings throughout 2020. 
Uh, so, you know, theoretically, right, you know, we're influenced um, certainly by the sort of wave of militancy that was coming out of 2020, which was, of course, connected strongly to abolitionism. A lot of the uh, younger people in our organization, in particular, I think, are really influenced by like Kaba, Miriam Kaba, uh, Angela Davis, that stuff. And then we also are really lucky um, to have ties to the new communist movements. If uh, people aren't familiar with that, that was a distinct development out of the new left in the United States in the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, so groups like SDS, Student for Democratic Society, uh, people affiliated in like the milieu of the Panthers um, and the Asian American community, groups like East Wind, uh, Iwar Kuhn, uh, developed into communist organizations over the U.S. We're actually lucky enough that one of our elders in our movement, uh, well, elders in our organization, Monashida, uh, was active in that movement. So we have, and there are other people in Little Tokyo because Little Tokyo was a hotbed for this sort of work. Uh, so we have influence and guidance from that uh, historical tradition as well, which influences our work. All right, Kota, would you like to close our introductions? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Kota Kimura, he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm the host of Against Japanese podcast. And I launched this podcast in March 2021, I think. And I wanted to provide a forum to critique the ideology of Japaneseness, uh, founded on the assumptions of uh, equilibrium, homogeneity, and uniqueness, and show that the history of Japan as we know it today is a history of class struggles, just as any other hitherto existing societies, to paraphrase uh, Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto. Uh, the theory or ideology I subscribe to is Marxism-Leninism-Maoism, which is the latest development, uh, latest stage of development in Marxism. Uh, Marxism can be described as many things, but it is the science of revolution, developed through the trials and tribulations in the laboratory of class struggles and world historic revolutions, uh, going all the way back to the French Revolution and the working class-led revolutions that followed, uh, such as the Paris Commune, the October Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, and the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution. Um, this theory is still tested and developed today in the ongoing revolutionary struggles around the world, primarily in the colonial and semi-colonial countries of the Global South, such as the Philippines, India, and occupied Palestine. Uh, I'm present here today only as the host of Against Japanese podcast, and not officially representing any organizations that I affiliate with, but I am a member of Canada Philippine Solidarity Organization, uh, CPSO, uh, organizing in solidarity with the National Democratic Movement in the Philippines uh, against semi-feudalism, uh, bureaucrat capitalism, and imperialism. I'm also an inactive member of Japanese Canadians for Social Justice based in Toronto, uh, dish, dish with One Spoon Territory, uh, as well as young Japanese Canadians of Toronto. Thank you for all uh, having me, Mia, and uh, I look forward to the discussion. Well, great. Thank you all for introducing um, and giving us a little context about uh, each of your spaces and where you're coming from. Um, and again, to the audience, feel free to add questions to that Google Doc um, as we move. We'll continue to sort of track those so, so that we can bring them towards the end of, at the end of this discussion time to our Q&A. Um, and hope you all enjoy what we're going to dive into. So to start off, um, my first question is, is how did your organization develop? Uh, 
uh, what were the original issues that broke that brought all of you, your folks together um, and how has it changed over time? And then the bigger question within that is then what is the current vision and purpose of your organization? So lots of pieces. And I think to start off, I'm going to pass it to Jas to begin a combo. Thanks, Mia. Um, like Henry said, we started uh, in 2021 in January. We're almost two years old. Um, a lot of us we're already organizing in other spaces in and around Little Tokyo. And I think uh, we felt a little frustrated in terms of um, not having like the sort of conversations that needed to be had, like around gentrification and anti-Blackness. And um, a few of us at the time, well, a lot of us in the inception of jazz were artists. So we wanted to also talk about the weaponization of art and art washing as well. So um, yeah, so pandemic happened and then there was an encampment that formed in Little Tokyo. And uh, yeah, it was just a perfect opportunity to do something instead of talk about it. And also, um, yeah, it was interesting to like think about the conversation we would have in Little Tokyo about all the things that we were going to do. Um, at the same time, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the geography of Little Tokyo, it borders Skid Row. So there's a lot of apparent issues in Little Tokyo with that and then um, that people don't want to deal with. And so that was happening. And at the same time, we also like I think the second week we started to do uh, our power up um we had a Mokyobi situation. So it's basically a white owned gentrifying business that came into little Tokyo. Uh, and most of the people in the community were upset about it, but also didn't really want to do anything about it. So we also took on that sort of struggle there. Um, yeah. And then I think Henry can add a little bit more too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we formed around then. Uh, at the start, we're uh, I, would, I think we actually were almost exclusively not exclusively, but we were all members. Where I think we're Japanese American at the start, um, but we never had that as like a necessary principle as a group. So just in terms of doing sort of visible action within Little Tokyo, uh, just people like on the street who live in the community or live in like Chinatown or were active in the community for some reason started to see us and were curious about us. A lot of people. <laughs> who are still in this organization, just literally walked us to us on the street one day and now they're dedicated uh, comrades. Um, and so we, we grew that way. Uh, we always sort of put our uh, politics up front and we were always uh, pretty insistent on taking public stands on what we thought was happening in Little Tokyo. This naturally brought us into conflict with other force of Little Tokyo. So there was consequently struggle, but the being coming into, I think, struggle with various community forces, various sort of business forces, I think that sharpened our analysis and it pushed us towards further developing our politics and trying to understand a more structural understanding of what was happening. Um, and so there were, you know, various major moments that I can't go into right now because we only have so much time. Uh, but if you want to learn more about it, please, you know, ask questions about it. Uh, but and over the course of like, uh, you know, about a year or so, I would say we had really started to develop ourselves towards a revolutionary perspective, a revolutionary analysis such that you know, what's our you know, vision? I would say our vision is revolutionary overthrow of the current conditions, um, any means necessary. But of course, that's a 
gradual process that we're building for through more discussion, more practice, more struggle, um, leading us to a higher stage of unity. Um, we can go next. Uh, so for Nikki Uprising, um, so uh, we originally formed around, you know, uh, just like coming together as a group of people who wanted to organize um, Nikkei Chicago folks to join the to the first solidarity national pilgrimage um, to close the camps. But then I think like we found that it was just really generative to gather as like radical and activist Nikkei in Chicago, um, just because it felt like there was so much to unpack around like our our relationship and our community's relationship to things like imperialism and anti-blackness and even like how you know incarceration is framed and our history of incarceration is framed in our community um and so yeah we kind of organic we didn't necessarily intend to become like an organization but that kind of organically happened um and i think like one of the sh big shifts for us too was around the pandemic like because of the pandemic the the pilgrimage in DC was um, was changed to um, a bunch of smaller actions, and at the time, Cook County Jail um, was uh, the site of one of the largest COVID outbreaks in the country. Um, and so, we ended up deciding to do our action at the Cook County Jail rather than at like an immigrant detention center, which you know at the time was a shift from kind of how like the issues we had been talking about with our community. And it really forced us to have this conversation with our community that, you know, was was sometimes like, right, brought up conflict or brought up tension around like the ways that our community often holds these like, you know, these very like assimilationist narratives around like deserving and undeserving incarceration and things like that. Um, but I think it was also like, yeah, it was it was a big part of what um really like solidified our focus on abolition and incarceration. Um, and then through that action, we also formed a relationship with an activist um in Chicago who whose um husband passed away from COVID because of those initial COVID outbreaks in the Cook County jail. And so um just like her leadership and her work has been a huge guiding force for us as well. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, I'll also speak to kind of what we're doing now, which is our current vision and purpose at Nikkei Uprising. Um, so yeah, like Anne said, we're about like, yeah, three-ish years old now. And um, now have, I would say like 15 to 20 folks um, in our collective and uh, maybe like a hundred or so folks who are in our greater network. Um, and I would say our focus has now become definitely supporting the abolitionist organizing that's happening here in Chicago, um, bringing our people together to join these bigger movements, things like defund CPD. Um, there's also a big push right now in Illinois to end money bond um, that, that we're supporting. Um, and also in the past when folks in Cook County Jail connected by Cassandra, um, the Black activist that Anne mentioned, um, their folks were hunger striking in Cook County Jail uh, protesting COVID conditions in the past year. And we were uh, supporting them um, as well and trying to get the word out and to put pressure um, on the sheriff. Um, so yeah, supporting abolitionists and anti-incarceral organizing in Chicago as it already exists. Another big thing that I think that we're doing is focusing on unpacking and resisting uh, Japanese imperialism as it exists in ourselves. Um, we've been hosting a 
workshop series that we're calling the Japanese-ness workshop series um, that kind of became um, slowly more of a storytelling and like not necessarily healing circles, but definitely a place for us to unpack these contradictions of being Japanese and American that many of us have never had the space to talk about before. Um, yeah, Kota's work has been extremely influential in that. Um, and also, so those kind of things, supporting, organizing, unpacking um, our identity. And then also, I would say something that feels unique um, about Nikkei Uprising is how we're building deep community um, with each other as a way of shifting our like collective consciousness. When I think about it, we're not exactly an activist group or a cultural group. It seems to be kind of in the same where I look at ourselves and our members as being the main community that we are trying to support and shift while engaging um, in activism that brings us towards collective uh, liberation. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, launched this podcast to critique what I call Japanism. And someone on Instagram uh, on Nikkei Register's uh, account was asking, like, what is Japanism? And that's a totally fair question. <laughs> and um, yeah, um, the term is often associated, uh, I think, with a particular far-right political tendency in Japan prior to World War II. And also used to refer to an artistic movement, um, kind of genre of art in late 19th century France, influenced by Japanese art and design. Um, while how I use a term certainly includes these things, uh, I use it more broadly to refer, uh, refer to the discourse of Japanese-ness and Japanese identity in general, uh, everything Mia talked about earlier. Uh often categorized under the rubric of uh, a theory of Japanese-ness or uh, Nihonjin-ron um, as an ideology and as a form of cultural nationalism, um, not as a consciously articulated and coherent political program, but apparently a political, uh, quote-unquote, common sense. And um, a lot of previous critics of Nihon Jinron uh, have seen it as a set of cultural stereotypes, inaccurate and pseudoscientific representations of Japan and Japanese people, and sought to debunk these theories on that basis. Uh, my interest is not so much in the question of whether Nihon Jinron is accurate or inaccurate, although it's certainly more inaccurate than accurate. Uh, but I'm more interested in what it does as an ideology and who is this ideology for. Uh, another common mistake made in the critique of Japanese-ness is to ascribe responsibility exclusively to either the West or Japan in an idealist fashion as a product of Orientalist prejudices innate to the Western mind or Japan's attempt to, uh, quote-unquote, self-orientalize in the quest for international recognition. Uh, however, I argue that these approaches psychologize and dehistoricize Western chauvinism and assume that these categories, uh, such as the West and Japan, are like autonomous agents and political subjects that, are, that can do things as if they're persons. In reality, uh, there are contradictions and complexities inherent uh, to these categories and they can in no way substitute for autonomous individuals, uh, which is itself a bourgeois construct. Uh, and this also applies to the question of identities. 
So taking Japanese identity for granted、uh, overlooks these contradictions. And cultural nationalism is really an ideology that ignores or actively suppresses these contradictions. So, contra- contrary to that, I want to engage in a dialectical and historical materialist critique of、uh, the theory of Japaneseness as a ruling class ideology and a product of, and simultaneously an en- enabler of, a historically specific set of、uh, intra and inter societal relations. Uh, through which Japan has become a capitalist nation state and imperialist superpower,、uh, such as、uh, inter imperialist rivalry, colonialism, and exploitation of labor power, and cis heteropatriarchy.、Uh, I also want to emphasize that、uh, Japanism is not simply a ruling class agenda、uh, cohesively imposed on the rest of society. By the imperialist bourgeoisie and the financial oligarchy at the top of the pyramid,、uh, Japanism, as a form of cultural nationalism, is an ideology of class collaboration、uh, through manufactured consent and mobilizing the middle classes and even some members of the working class in service of the imperialist bourgeoisie.、Uh, hence, the question of the role of the petty bourgeoisie and the labor aristocracy, like Uh, a sort of privileged section of the working class、uh, in reactionary politics such as Japanism, cultural nationalism, and fascism、uh, in an imperialist country like Japan and the United States become paramount.、Uh, equally important is the question of organizing and consolidating the proletariat,、uh, which is the only revolutionary class that can lead a struggle for the world proletarian socialist revolution and the abolition of Japaneseness. Um, yeah, so I base these perspectives on the research I have conducted for my podcast, as well as my organizing experience、uh, and political education that I partook with my comrades over the years.、Um, and while I argue that the presence of class struggles is universal and Japanism itself arises out of the world capitalist system, sorry, world system of capitalist imperialism. Uh, how these struggles manifest is particular to each society. So, for instance, in semi colonial and semi feudal societies like the Philippines and India, the peasants also constitute a revolutionary class alongside the proletariat. However,、uh, social and political situations around the world,、uh, whether in a region, a nation state, or a neighborhood, are constantly changing、uh, depending on the strengths or weakness of the working class organization. So, the organizers therefore must constantly engage in social investigation and class analysis,、uh, SICA, SICA, to develop a clear understanding of who their enemies and friends are in a given situation and organize the most advanced elements of the masses into a theoretically unified revolutionary organization, bring up the intermediary through mobilization and political education, and to isolate the reactionaries and the class enemies. Um, I actually have more notes, but I think、uh, I think I'm going to stop there and yeah, we can come back to that later. Thank you so much, Kota, for like, I think that really that deeper framework because 
Um, I think myself too, I'm still learning a lot about Nihon Jinron and just like all of the layers of Japanism. And so um, I really appreciate you giving that framework and sort of that lead, that ties really well into our next question that um, actually first might pass it to Nikkei Uprising to start um, and sort of it's kind of like a response, I think a little bit to what you've talked about. And um, what I'm curious, right, from having invited you all is that all of your work, um, especially in the organizations, includes some specific connections to Nikkei, Japanese. Japanese American in some spaces communities. Um, and so what has it meant to organize and connection to Nikkei identity while also challenging the many levels of violence it presides over, much as like what you talked about, Kota, around um, US imperialism, Japanese imperialism, and how that kind of comes through with what is like mainstream Japanism, Japanese-ness that we even see in our own communities. Um, so yeah, so sorry, I'll just read my question because it kind of turned into a comment and question, but to go back is all of our organizations, right? All of the folks here I've invited um, include some connect specific connection to Nikkei communities. Um, so what has it meant for you to organize in connection to Nikkei identity while also challenging the many levels of violence it presides over through the maintenance of Japanese imperialism? Um, and so I think to start, I'll pass it actually back to Nikkei Uprising and Corey, if you wanted to start us there. And you want to start us off? Yeah, thank you, Kota, for all of that framing. I feel like just your podcast and you know, how you talk about Japanism has been really helpful for us in like putting language to some of these things that we've been like unpacking and grappling with the Nikkei uprising. Um, like this is, this is like something that we talk about in Nikkei uprising a lot. And um, there's just like, there there is this huge piece around, like, I think for like one thing that we've witnessed in our community is um, the ways that like assimilation, like forces around assimilation and just like the, you know, um, breaking up of our communities because of the incarceration and the resettlement. Um, and then the impacts of that have left a lot of Nikkei, especially in our generation, with like a desire for community and a desire to connect with this part of their identity. And at the same time, like there are all of these ways that um, this longing is like makes us makes us and makes our communities easy to exploit for things like anti-blackness and Japanese imperialism and kind of promoting this like right Japanism, cool Japan sort of soft power um, because of the ways that that stuff has been very intentionally like packaged um, and sold to us as as the these ideologies of that like you know that have been used to kind of manipulate our, our communities and also as like ways that we've been able to access um, resources, right? And and um, and power in the society. So I think just um, like a lot of our, our work in Nikki Uprising has also been about like, how do we um, channel that longing in, in more liberatory ways? And like, how do we kind of, you know, like work through that together and then, like channel that into something where we're actually, um, you know, like supporting building solidarity with other communities and also um, getting to like, you know, build with each other in a way that isn't rooted in, in, in this kind of like Japanese supremacy and um, imperialism. Yeah, I'll add on. Thanks. Yeah, I really feel like there's something unique about the longing and rootedness 
um, that we have in our community. Like I used to have a lot of grief about there's so much uh, loss, especially in in the Midwest around culture. But now I'm kind of also having had more space for that grief. Now, when we come together as organizers, so many of us have so much energy to give towards trying to make something that we do want to yearn for. And I think that that's something that's becoming so powerful that I'm seeing grow as powerful as we continue to move as um, Midwest organizers. And so I think like doing stuff like creating this Japanese-ness workshop in which we have space to really think through all these different concepts contradictions and um, kind of looking through our lives of the ways that militarism, race, and class have um, impacted us as individuals and being able to hold that um, intergenerationally, um, that even that naming process, I think, has been really, really powerful, at at least for me. Um, And I think that, um, yeah, something that we read this article um, by James and Grace Lee Boggs, uh, some as a panelist about thinking dialectically, not biologically. And there was this like one point at the end where they talk about how can we um, acknowledge the contradictions in our organizational culture. And I think that that's something that because we are all being influenced by these like wildly massive and contradictory forces that moving as Nikkei, we can actually make space for the contradictions to be the basis of what we're moving for versus trying to move, move between them almost. Um, And yeah, so I'll just say like we were talking before this and Anna and I were just like, I think this is why it's really important for us that we have really strong community ties. We're trying as a group to center cultivating conflict and building deep trust and commitment um, and care, even if we don't necessarily like each other all the time, trying to build that trust. Um, We're not a group of cohesive people like not all of us have incarceration backgrounds. Some of us are Japanese nationals. Um, some folks have Okinawan background. We're definitely not all from the Midwest, um, but trying to build a community together within all of those contradictions, I think is actually building us towards something um, that is visionary and and different than what is before. I think we're trying to teach each other new rituals celebrate birthdays and weddings and babies um, as a way to both make a comfortable place that when we deal with these really, really tough things, like how imperialism affects us deep in our bodies, we have the relationship that we can unfurl the shame, unfurl the hurt, unfurl the, yeah, all the stuff that that comes up. Um, Yeah, I'll pass it on. Jazz folks, did you want to respond or have on our respond to them or your own insights from your spaces? Yeah, yeah, I can say a little bit. Um, so what's interesting about us as an organization, right? So we're not, um, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, we're not an exclusively Japanese American organization. I actually know if we're a majority Japanese American, I think we might just be plurality Japanese American, but um, we're based in Little Tokyo. And that's sort of the, the, the central focus, I would say, of our organization. So it's not, strictly speaking, being Japanese American, but it's a space, right? And it's a space in which people live in which people have cultural connections to in which people work so there's various forces that are not exclusively just being japanese american whatever that means like a biological sense or something uh but uh joking there's no such thing as biological japanese but the uh but the uh the idea here right is that we, we came together uh well the majority of people who started the organization of japanese american uh we've never developed around it trying to be exclusively japanese american we've been developed it around trying to have a more principled grassroots relationship to the community of Little Tokyo and building power from that community upwards. And so, like, for instance, in our power up work, right, 
uh, many of the uh, people who um, uh, we're doing sort of paperwork with are black or Latino, not exclusively. And that's one thing that I think gets overlooked, right? Is that there are still Japanese American and house people are still Asian American and house people in our community that we serve as well. But for us, right, we're not trying to say, right, you know, like we're little Tokyo and they're not or something. You know, they're all part of little Tokyo and, and, and the community basis for us is, is very important. So I think we, and we're of course also very lucky that we have a neighborhood like little Tokyo that we can develop organization around. Whereas, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm a, I fled the Midwest to the West Coast. Um, uh, so, you know, we're certainly lucky that we have that. But so we, we have that, I think, as sort of a material basis for how we develop around our organization, how those of us who are Japanese American, like myself or Zen, uh, who are in the organization, can develop our, our politics. So, so for us, right, it's, I don't, we, we don't like have like specific like discussions so much around Japanese American so much as we talk about Little Tokyo. We talk more about Little Tokyo than we do specifically about Jays, although obviously Jays are part of, of Little Tokyo. Um, so I think that gives us a, a slightly different approach. And I think for us, it, it also, um, it highlights, and this is so, so sort of going on to what like Koda's been tired talking about, right? With Koda's talking about class struggle and, the, and how ideas of japanese can sort of be used to cover up the reality of class struggle, the reality that there isn't just one, you know, unified body of people who are homogenized, right? In being tied to Little Tokyo and to the history of Little Tokyo, the activist organization of Little Tokyo, I think for us, we've always been able to sort of think about ourselves as being within that tradition of proletarian working class struggle and trying to identify with that as a specific trajectory within uh, Little Tokyo history, which is entangled Japanese American history. And, and that I think has always sort of positioned us against um, imperialism, because if you're on the side of the global working class, you're against imperialism. You have to be, or at least uh, unless you, I guess, are deluded about some other aspects of the world. But um, so, so for us, I think having a material space that we're organizing around, that's not that, you know, it's not biologically Japanese, but it's coming out of multiple different struggles. I think that gives us a, a unique advantage that we're, we're very lucky to have um, in how we think about ourselves as a community, how so we're developing both with the weight of our history behind us, but we're also attentive to how materially our community is changing. We're not trying to, we're not trying to fix it as something that, you know, is, is biological, but we are trying to develop it in line with the interests of the working class of our community. If they're quote unquote biologically Japanese, or if they're not, because we're developing a new community in little Tokyo, that's hopefully going to be for proletarian, the proletarian cause, as opposed to just being dominated by the sort of petty bourgeoisie. Um, so yeah, those are some of my thoughts on that question. Ben, did you want to add anything? I think a lot of folks, uh, well, we just had a discussion about this question last night after Power Up, and it was really interesting to hear how folks felt about this question within the group. So yeah, no, I think that was great. And it was great to hear how all the other groups are thinking about it too. Thank you. Yeah, before I pass to you, Kota, um, I just, yeah, I think my personal response is that this is actually how we, I got to know um, Henry and Zen is because I think up here in the Bay Area, right, there was very much a formation around like Japanese-ness is tied to occupying an ethnic Japanese sphere in San Francisco. And I'm not saying that as well as I want to, but we were talking about that. I was like, oh, wow. It's like, it's such a different way of, I think, thinking about the work and like, you know, though using the moniker, like little Tokyo, it's not like, right, beholden to, um, again, like, yeah, all those pieces around like maintaining like blood purity or ethnic Japanese, right? There's like, a, I think there's more to it where I feel like it has been hard up here where 
right? The identity to be Japanese means you have to occupy space and right. Doesn't include any sort of like clone settler colonial analysis or anything like that. Right. It's very, um, so yeah, I'm just talking back because like, oh yeah, that's a very, I think important way for me that I'm reflecting on right now of like, how do we do this work in connection to the history, but not like obscuring it or like buying into cultural nationalism, but Kota, what do you got for us? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, the the Boggs article title, like think dialectically, not biologically, but it could also be said that like think dialectically, not culturally. And so how sort of the anthropological concept of culture is like really entrenched in the sort of representation of Japan or any sort of non-Western societies. And, you know, I talked earlier about how the sort of like the, the West or Japan or the East kind of become a substitute for person same can be applied to culture, right? So, like, people just say, oh, Japanese culture is this, and, you know, Korean culture is this, but it's, like, it's, like, it's, that very framework is very idealist, and I think there's a need to sort of radically reconceptualize what culture is, sort of the idea of cultural revolution, sort of proletarian culture, you know, sort of, like, incorporating class analysis into culture as well, and, you know, Fanon talks about it as well, and uh, Fred Hampton, I just watched the... Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, it's, there's a line that, you know, what I'm interested in, the revolutionary culture, not the, sort of like the the shiki and stuff like that in that particular context of, of the Black liberation struggle. Yeah, I, I just also want to tie back to the sort of question of identity as well. And uh, my experience with the, the Nikkei communities here, I had a an argument with sort of older comrade and uh, JCHJ and sort of like I sort of casually refer to basically everyone as a sort of Japanese oh we Japanese people and this comrade had a really strong reaction to that like it, oh I'm not Japanese you know I, I'm Canadian you know and sort of that was sort of like a learning experience for me to like oh being exposed to this kind of contradiction in the community like it, it, people don't you know want to identify differently right like uh, you know are we all Japanese in diaspora or are we Japanese American or Japanese Canadian and Obviously, like that's up to individual choice, but I think we should also recognize that there are forces bigger than us that are try to like uh, sort of interpolate all of us into being Japanese, whether we like it or not. And sort of the I think about sort of the, the sort of global reach of the Japanese state and how you know it, they basically try to shut down the commemoration of the comfort woman. Just to give one example in Toronto, but also in you know, in states as well. Um, I mean, we also in Toronto, like the sort of the, the foundation of JCSJ is like actually goes back to that struggle. You know, um, the provincial parliament, the provincial legislature, they wanted to, there was a bill to commemorate comfort women. Uh, and then there was a sort of a lot of lobbying from the, the Japanese state. And yeah, so um, what I try to do in my work is also to sort of, highlights that you know japanism is not simply an idea that's out there just floating but it's actually promoted and disseminated by the japanese state and it's ostensibly quote-unquote non-state institutions uh, such as ngos community organizations non-profits uh, religious organizations or cultural industries uh, what uh, louis althusser called uh, the ideological state apparatuses uh, the reach of these institutions is global, and its tentacles extend to like wherever there are ethnic Japanese people, basically, you know, including in the diaspora, 
and Nikkei people, and they try to inter interpolate all of us into、uh, Japanese-ness, you know, through、uh, organizations such as the Consulate General Japan itself, Japan Foundation, and the National Association of Japanese Canadians. And you know, also the Japanese state's intellectual property strategy, also known as the Cool Japan, cool Japan initiatives, sort of the export of cultural commodities like you know, anime, manga, and what have you. And、um, yeah, so that's like it. You know, obviously we can identify as much as you know, however we want, but it, it is a sort of class struggle, you know, and at the, the end of the realm with ideology and. And、I think these attempts,、uh, attempts by the Japanese ruling class to mobilize Nikkei communities for Japanese imperialism must be exposed and opposed. And you know, as much as we should oppose the tendency among Nikkei people、uh, to embrace settler nationalism,、uh, you know, either as the alternative to or in combination with the Japanese nationalism, and more often than not, these two reactionary tendencies are articulated with one another. Uh, just as Japan and other settler imperialist states、uh, form a geopolitical alliance in in real life, right? So I think proletarian internationalism is the only option, in my opinion. And、uh, and you know, I I draw on this concept of a three way fight.、Uh, I think it was、uh, Devin Shaw.、Uh, he wrote. He's a philosopher. He wrote a book called the、uh, The Philosophy of Anti Fascism, and he talks about how. We not only have to oppose fascism, but also liberalism. And、uh, Tosaka Jun, which is a sort of interwar Japanese Marxist, talked about that, something like that as well. So it's really sort of have a dialectical interrelation between、uh, not just fascism and anti-fascism, but also how liberalism enables fascism, and you know that sort of manifestation of that here in North America is a sort of settlerism, like settler nationalism, right? Like Canadianness or Americanness, and so people either sort of fall back on. Japaneseness or is Americanness or Canadianness, but both need to be opposed. So, yeah, three-way fight against Japanism and settlerism is、mm-hmm. very important, I think. Yeah, kind of connected to that because、um, we still have a few more minutes within this question block that I wanted to actually throw back to、uh, Nikkei Uprising. Is I'm really interested in sort of like you know thinking about what you've just named Kota like resisting Americanism in Japan, Japanism. Like,、um, I know way back when you all did like a. An obon like odori in front of the jail, and I know there's been some other like really cool like art pieces. I know Corey, you've been working on,、um, and yeah, I feel like that tension, right? Like, there's been something for me personally with like doing like、um, persimmon. Was it? Oh my god, I'm forgetting the word hoshigaki. <laughs> Right, instead of that, like natural, like that, like being connected to land and trying to use that, but then also right the complexity of like what is. But not having the full like depth of understanding like what I'm like replicating like、um, a quick antidote before I pass back to you is like I think the song Tankobushi right around the coal mines was actually a really interesting song to think through、um, when I did a, a trip with some.、Um, Comrades, Japan, and we went to the Tanko, the、uh, coal mine, and right, they like the person was talking about like right, these are really violent、um, systems, and a lot of the people that are actually working them were、um, people stolen、um, and enslaved from Korea and China, right? So how do we understand this relation? Like, so you know, when I'm doing Tanko Bushi now, I'm kind of like, oh, what does this mean, right? And I think I ha- I don't have. I, there's still a lot I don't understand. So,、um, just sort of yeah, I'm curious, like for your to kind of close this question about like both 
opportunities and maybe challenges like in some of the cultural work that you've done and the ritual work that you've shared, like what have maybe been the tensions and what have maybe been the transformation you've noticed in people's understanding of Japanese identity? Did you want to say something, Corey? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it it like goes back to, you know, a lot of like just kind of this thread of conversation that we've been having where um, like, I don't know, like the, just like, I, I feel like we always try to think in the camp rising about like who does this serve this like whatever ideology or like cultural work that we're kind of pulling from or reaching for. And like, I don't know, like Corey and I also talk a lot about like the idea of, you know, that there has to be, and like in Nikki Uprising in general, right, the, the idea that there has to be like some kind of self-interest in the work that we do and that like our liberation is bound up in other people's, liber- you know, in everybody's liberation, right, and that like the, the sort of like yearning for this sort of cultural connection or this community connection in itself isn't bad like that represents a lot around like the losses that you know folks have had around culture and around identity and around land and community but that yeah that we have to keep on like pulling apart what it actually is and then you know thinking about yeah, what are we actually trying to create here? Like what, like how is, what is the way that we want to create community? And like, what are we creating it for? What are we practicing culture for? Like, what do we want it to serve? Um, So yeah, that's just something that I think about a lot. And then, yeah, just, I think like us being a very like small group that is very relationship-based also helps with that where like, yeah, just something about being small scale and like having the room to sometimes move slower than maybe like an organization that's more of a like nonprofit or like a 501c3 or, you know, has the ability to do. I, I feel like a, a lot of like what we're doing too, and this feels related to like abolition in general, is like it's a lot of practice. Like the vision of abolition is one where, you know, it's a very like long-term sort of generational goal that we don't really necessarily see a clear pathway or like an end point of. Um, and so how do we just like keep working towards and practicing and building like the kind of skills and like the, like what are the ways that we would actually need to be in relationship with each other in order to like work towards realizing that world. Um, so yeah, just that that process is also part of of the work as much as like organizing for direct change and material conditions right now. I love that. That leads us kind of into our next question and I'll be passing it right back to you, Anne. Um, but wow, so I think to kind of our last structured question and then we're going to go to breakout groups and then you will have everyone come back for Q&A and just sort of group processing discussion time. Um, I think our last question, right, is inspired from me thinking about the Turek quote around like, you know, mobilization, like what is the systems that we're looking at, right? And so I'm really interested to hear and really connect with like what you were saying, and maybe like more specific about like the relationships or the visions um, in like what we mean when we're saying that we're building towards revolution, right? Like what is what we're building for. So yeah, if you want to expand on any of that relational work that you're thinking through and imagining through um, and what that mean and how that ties into the larger vision for revolution, I'm so excited to hear. Yeah, it's it's such a hard question. I mean, it's like, it, it feels related to, yeah, what we were just talking about in that like, 
I feel like when you tangle with like incarceration and abolition, I mean, it, it's it's so like it's this huge like material and institutional reality in our society, but it's also something that's so deeply internalized in all of us. And it's such a deep like logic that runs our society. Um, and like, right, like because it's so tangled up in safety, like people have this really intense investment in it. And so, yeah, I feel like it's just, it brings up all of this stuff around like how, you know, like moving towards abolition, right? It, it just makes it really clear that like our entire society needs to change. Um, and like, not just on the institutional level, but like on sort of a an internal level and a cultural level. And so, yeah, I, I feel like in the uprising, like, um, like we also in having these conversations about like Japaneseness and imperialism, there's like things that we were trying to practice around, like how do we build towards having the skills to like have conflict with each other or to have, hold like tension more openly as a group, or like how do we be in right relationship with other communities that have experienced Japanese imperialism, or you know, and I think like. Yeah, like there aren't like easy or simple answers to any of those questions. And a lot of like the container of having a community also makes it possible to be with like the constant inquiry of it and not have to like just try to have answers, which feels very like, you know, it, it's just it's I feel like that's like the desire for answers is sometimes really strong. Um and yeah, just something about the container of having a community um, helps us like stay in the questions. Yes, exactly. Yeah, trying to like sit in the unknownness and be okay with it. I feel like when you framed me at this question to us, which is like, what does it mean when we're building towards a revolution? Like, what is a revolution? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. What, what is it? Like, that is, that's the question, right? Um, and I feel like something that I appreciate about us being an abolitionist group is because the question is so big that we, I know that I will be in there my entire life. Like, I will never reach the the end of um, the reality of the world that that we want to live in. So I think it's cool that right now, I feel like Nikki Uprising is like sitting in that that in between. Like we don't have a specific campaign that we're trying to win. Um, and we can kind of sit more in the what answers like preparing for the unknown, preparing ourselves for that. And kind of looking at like the campaigns that we're doing um, or the maybe the mobilization that we're doing as like ways to practice being in community and moving as a unit like with each other like practicing being an organism um, mm-hmm. and something that I'm thinking a lot about is kind of like with the, the idea of like emergent strategy is the fractal of being like okay if we're gonna if there is like the individual and fractaling out I feel like there's almost this like companion fractal which is like the one that's like twisted inside of you um, that is like also rooted from all of the like big forces, like the systemic oppressions, um, that we just kind of hold in our bodies. And so I think that something about that, like being in the unknown, preparing for this long-term revolution is being able to like hold space for and twisting in that kind of, um, yeah, like the deep ways that we've internalized these systems as a way to then continue to impulse or sorry, influence the fractal as it moves outward from ourselves to the, our relationships and then to our communities. Um, 
yeah, things like how do we hold conflict? How do we treat each other building towards the how do we tear down the prison system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything else, Anne? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, you know, just always in the backdrop, too, is like we're living in a world that's collapsing, like capitalism is collapsing at a, you know, at sort of an unprecedented rate. And so, like, we're preparing for crises that we can't even fully imagine or like, you know, it's it's just like, yeah. So I feel like that's a part of it, too, for me is like, you know, it, it feels important to just like build the skill in this practice of like, how do we build with people that we can like make decisions with together that we can move with together and that we can respond to things with. Ooh, I had, I had one more thought that I'd love to share, which is kind of going back to what Anne was talking about before, which is like, what are these symbols and like culture? How do we examine them and bring them on. I think that that's something that's cool that we have been doing as a group is like, because we all come from different experiences with Japaneseness, a lot of us are mixed. And I think that's like a huge, like, yeah, talking about breaking down nationalism and what it means to be a culture um, as mixed people. I feel like it's our imperative to choose and select cultural symbols that we, that serve us, not serve what we might be pulled towards the oppressive systems. Um, so things like our, for Nikkei Uprising, our, we made our symbol the Oni. And for us to kind of like, as a group, kind of look at it through like a disability justice lens, like a trans liberation lens, like all of these different things that are our values now and be like, is this something that we want to pull with us now and in, in, into the future? Um, that's something that for this, it takes a lot of time and intention to figure out what rituals and practices we want to, bring on, but that feels powerful. And I'm excited to do that with these people that I trust. Oh, I saw you had a hand raised. Do you want to go? Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I find Maoism so attractive is that it sort of really try to strike the balance between sort of two opposing tendencies and it really values the sort of like necessity of uh centralized discipline and theoretically unified leadership organization uh like revolutionary organization uh which i believe essential and it's sort of like kind of gets a bad rap it's authoritarian or totalitarian or whatever like whatever sort of like these ideas people have but also like we need that organization but at the same time it's very uh, they organize the need of being rooted in the masses, right? It's really Mao developed this uh, method called the mass line. Its principle is from the masses to the masses. So it's kind of it's kind of constant feed, feedback loop between sort of the ideas and sort of grievances and sort of anger and sadness of the masses. And you know Mao is very clear about you have to sort of be able to like identify with the sorrow and happiness. You know, you have to like eat with them. You have to like do you know do these everyday things with them uh so basically take these but you know the people don't always have like the coherent ideas right like the us in sort of educated middle class milieu sort of you know want to have like really coherent ideas but uh, like working class people often don't have that so we take these masses ideas you know sort of like synthesize it and sort of listen to them synthesize and bring it back to them and sort of like do this kind of constant feedback group of like you know, what the masses want to see, but also like bringing, not being shy of like 
knowing the answer, you know, like I think it's okay to sort of have the sort of clarity of thought and uh, direction. But the question is like how to not be authoritarian, you know, not be like Mao says, calls it like commandist, right? And I mean, people rightly critical of that and sort of goes on to the other polar opposite of like Taylorism, which is like also called like a movementism. Go to whatever protest that's popular and, you know, it's basically the mobilization approach the commentary talks about and sort of just don't really completely kind of disorganize and sort of become kind of anti-organizational. So it's like, I think a comrade of mine recently called Maoism radical centrism. So basically you have to like critical you know all these like polar opposition you know i mean also applies to sort of like reformism kind of bernie saunders or even like jcp japanese communist party which is like super reformist and counter-revolutionary even you know they became revisionist um but sort of the opposite of that it's sort of like a military kind of like adventurism and sort of just sort of like individual acts of terrorism that sort of japanese left is often associated with but I think we, it's, I think sort of the experience of the Chinese Revolution really showed that, you know, really, they really took it to the next level. You know, they really like basically they took them like decades to to win the revolution, like defeat the Japanese imperialism, and and which is amazing uh, lesson of history, right? Like I have to be really patient, but also persistent at the same time. And um, so I think we really, so you know, I think it's good, really good to talk about organization, like. I agree with Kwame Ture, but he doesn't really talk about like what kind of organization, right? So I think it's really, I, I think it's, it will be useful for us to think like, oh yeah, what kind of organization is needed? And um, yeah, and how do we build our base? You know, how do we, you know, how do we root ourselves in the masses? And who are the masses too? Like I, I talked about social investigation and class analysis. I think we always need to like study because, you know, things are always changing, right? And each place has a different kind of politics and, um yeah so like we always have to investigate and Mao said like no investigation no right to speak so we always have to be studying not just theory but also these conditions of our communities and yeah what's right there in our everyday lives thank you kota for all of that and everybody um but i'm happy you uh brought up uh mass line work and kind of forgot about what the question was because there's been so many things that just are flying through my mind. But like, I wanted just to, um, I guess, just talk about like, not about the, you know, you know, part of revolutionary practice is not talking about the issue necessarily about like talking about the system. And then um, a lot of the direct action work we do at Power Up, we, eat with folks, we talk with folks, we have, you know, open mic. And I think the big difference I see when we do that work, when we've been doing this work for almost two years now is like, people are starting, people understand that, that we're different from obviously like a nonprofit or any sort of charity group, right? Because we're talking about systemic issues. We're talking about how our liberation is entangled with their liberation. And um, I think we do a sweep defense on Thursdays and we invite the folks that we are doing the sweep defense with the unhoused folks to tell us what they're comfortable with. Because obviously like, 
you know, we could battle the police and we can talk all this shit to the police, but then they're on the street, you know, we're not there all the time. And then, um, so that sort of conversation in terms of how we are fighting with them, I think is really, uh, Beautiful to see that sort of organization happening at Power Up. You know, we'll have meetings with the residents there. And, you know, and we strategize together. And I think that is something that I don't think, obviously, nonprofits don't do that. But I think that, like, those are the things that we see as Jazz doing this sort of mass line work when we're out, you know, doing our investigation. and building community. Yeah. And, you know, we do have folks in the community that we adopt to that are not the housed folks in the community that we also have these conversations with. And we're starting to see more and more of the like Issei men from the SROs come to power up too. So that's been really interesting and to build, to learn their story and to kind of, um, I, I don't know, just exchange ideas with them. I don't know if that answers the question, but those are just my thoughts. But I'm sure Henry has some other things to say. <laughs> yeah, I can I can jump in. So I think the original question was, um, what does it mean to say we're building towards revolution, what revolution we're building towards? Um, yeah, and I mean, I, you know, just to start there, right? I mean, you know, we're, what we're fighting against is imperialism, right? And imperialism is capitalism in its most developed um, form. Uh, today. Um, so what we're, you know, for us, right, when we look at just like little toker, if you look anywhere, right, what are the contradictions that we're seeing expressed? Uh, we're seeing contradictions between oppressed nations and oppressed nations. You know, we're seeing that in sort of the racism that we encounter um, happening within little Tokyo. We're seeing a struggle, right, between capitalists and proletarians, people who own the means of production or who own capital. Um, particularly little Tokyo, we see this in developers, right, uh, who own the land versus the people who don't own any of it, being oppressed, being driven out, being worked around. And, and so for us, you know, we see those as being principal contradictions, uh, the fundamental sort of issues that develop the entire system uh, and that shape all other sort of aspects of oppression that we encounter in, in our daily lives. So for us, right, when, you know, when we're trying to think really big, you know, what's the revolution we're trying to do? We're trying to expropriate the capitalists. You know, we're trying to fundamentally end a system in which the basis of survival, which is the means of production, the basis of wealth and prosperity, are controlled by the few to the exclusion of everyone else. And that fighting that, right, you know, that doesn't mean trying to pass a bill that's going to like change taxation, it doesn't mean trying to, you know, do little things. It means fundamentally changing power structures. It means putting politics in command. Um, and so for us, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're a small group, you know, we're like, you know, like what, 20, 30 people or something. We're in a relatively small area <laughs> compared to the world, certainly compared to the world and compared to the United States, even compared a lot to Los Angeles. Um, but for us, right, you know, we're trying to put roots into the masses, right? We're trying to, from masses to the masses, we're trying to develop our mass line work. We're trying to understand where people are coming from, understand their insights and try and offer our own analysis back in a process that's not, you know, unidirectional, it's back and forth, developing out of political consciousness. We're also shaping out what can be leadership for the struggle, right? Trying to develop out what can be the, what can be a vanguard for a struggle. And so for us, right, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question. We don't know. We're trying to sum up the experiences of past organizations. We're trying to understand what went wrong in the past projects towards building a revolutionary vanguard. But for us, right, you know, we, we do believe we have to build some sort of revolutionary formation. We have to 
take drastic action because the fact of the matter is, right, the planet's not going to survive if we don't. Um, so for us, right, it is a, it's a life or death struggle. It's one that can only be won by the masses, but can't be won by the masses without direction, without tactics, without strategy, because, you know, there's a difference between rebellion and revolution, right? There's not, rebellion is good, but it's not the same thing as overthrowing the system. Resistance is not the same thing as overthrowing the system. So for us, you know, we're doing daily work that puts us in contact with the masses that makes us so we don't have to develop some hierarchy or elitism around it. Um, while at the same time, trying to bring forth theory, develop analysis um, from which we can create strategy and, and be, be a vanguard for, for the revolution. Oh my God, incredible. Um, for our speakers, did, did you all want to respond or share anything before we transition into breakout groups? Yeah, I just wanted to, because I was looking into, because uh, I didn't know anything about uh, J-Town Solidarity, the work you do. So I looked into some, I did some research and it's really interesting uh, dynamic there. And I was like uh, looking into like Kinokuniya, like among the landlords of the, the J-Town. And, you know, it's kind of ironic because like, they're basically like exporter of Japanese culture, you know, this kind of part of like cool J Japan regime and you know, exporting manga and things, and but they also like big landlord. You know, working with those like finance capital. So it's like, and then also these all these small businesses, right? Like they're basically they sell these cultural commodities, but they're, you know, because of the crisis that is capitalism, they're being sort of like pushed out and experiencing downward mobility. So like, what do you what do you make of that country? Like it, it I find it like super interesting and. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not really a question, but I just thought like, it's you know, I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, the, you know, there's a there's a funny line by Harold Harold Cruz, who was a great black revolutionary um, active. I think he died in the 80s, um, but he was active in the CPUSA um, pre World War II. Uh, he had a great line where he said, in reference to his own community, uh, "All communities, petty bourgeoisie, sell out. Ours just sells out for cheaper than anyone else." I think that we might be in competition for whose petty bourgeoisie sells out the cheapest. Um, and that's one thing I think Zen always talks about a lot, right? Is um, <laughs> like, you know, these are people who will not protest their own destruction, right? You know, because the fact of the matter is capitalism in particular its mature form is not for the petty bourgeoisie. It's, capitalism is not meant for, certainly not meant for the small business owner. Uh, you know, some petty bourgeoisie lawyers, uh, may call them labor aristocracy, they can thrive under mature capitalism. Small businesses cannot. Uh, without becoming as hollow and as attractive to finance capital in the most shallow, you know, the least meaningful ways possible in terms of any sort of quote unquote cultural pride, any sort of, you know, significant attachment to the community. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a fundamental lack of revolutionary analysis. I mean, there's, there's no ideology beyond just a very vague notion of Japanness that I think animates many small business owners, not all of them. There's always, you know, exceptions. Then there are some small businesses that we have worked with really productively in Little Tokyo that we don't want to over, overlook. But for the most part, yeah, there's a fundamental refusal to grapple with what capitalism means. There's a you know, the, the narrowness that being petty bourgeoisie instills in you from its economic standpoint. Uh, we see that taken to its extreme in our community. And that's probably because our community, like any community that is not the big capitalists, has never had to try to approach capitalism from a totalizing perspective. It's never had to try and think about what the full tendencies of capitalism are going to do to them. Uh, so our small businesses don't have to grapple, don't try to grapple with what capitalism is fundamentally doing them from a big perspective. It's just increasingly narrow 
interests driving. Um, that's my economic analysis, anyways. That's my economic reading. Wait, if I you have more thoughts on that, Zen? Oh, go ahead, Zen. No, I, I think we've had many conversations <laughs> like this. Did a great job, Henry. Uh, yeah, well, I, I do think like, yeah, it's just awful to see like people just marching themselves into their own like gentrification death, right? And it's just, uh, yeah, that conversation, like Henry says, we've had we'd ha- we've had successful conversations with a few folks. And I think we're hoping to do more of that sort of outreach to into little Tokyo soon and we'll let you know how that goes i mean in either case petty bourgeoisie are not the revolutionary force of little tokyo so we have you know we're we're always optimistic but we're not betting the farm on it yeah i agree i was just going to give a a bay area example and i feel like this is also happening in seattle if there's a seattle folk here in the call with that really big grocery store and the housing developments right all right i think what you just brought up kota is like i think it's it's happening i think that's like it happens in so many ways like my example is um uh yeah so kino kino kunya is also right an owner of the big mall in San Francisco, J-Town. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of businesses, like they were not giving any of the businesses rent relief. And so a lot of people lost their businesses, like small, like mom and pop shops. Uh, but I think the other thing is just thinking about the mall itself, right? And um, right, how I got connected with jazz folks was around um, like wanting to convert this hotel into permanent supportive housing. And so a lot of people in the community were talking about, oh, this is just like redevelopment where our community got wiped out. But um I read this book, uh, Gateway to the Pacific by Meredith Oda, and she her research shows how the Japanese Chamber of Commerce um, that got supported from multinational Japanese corporations like partnered together to support parts of the redevelopment period like around the mall that like led to the removal of like um like apartment, like low-income apartment housing or multi-generational like housing, um, like what was it, uh, auto shops, like things that would make it look messy and like you know, peasant was like actually some of the words that they were using. Um, so, right. They like, yeah, you use the word gender, like being part of their own gentrification, right. Like knowing that like people in our community are actively in that, right. The multinational corporations and the period and right. And there's this whole like level about how these imperialists are funded by um, the plantations in Hawaii. And so there's this like, right. This like settler colonial landscape and thinking about the colonization of Hawaii in the Pacific, that's also entwined in this also, I just had to say something because that has been on my mind about like, what is, how do we understand this that's also happening under, but then they sell it back to our community. It's like, oh, this is Japanese-ness and this is belonging. So you need to like fall in line or you're not part of the community. And that I think makes a lot of people then be like, oh, I won't critique it anymore because now, right? How do we, yeah, how do we think through the belonging? And I think there's, right, you all have given a lot of examples of like, how do we do like mass organizing and mobile mobilizing organization that doesn't rely on this like needing to belong to um japanism oh and jj i'll put it in the doc but it's called gateway to the pacific by meredith oda well was there anything before we um transition to breakout groups that folks want to say respond back to i'll slowly go back to share screen Alrighty, so after this, I will stop recording, but just kind of wanted to give us a transition to this next part of it. Um, so again, as we've talked about, right, the intention of today's like space is not only just for folks to just like 
listen to our speakers talking, but also giving um, our attendees the the opportunity to like discuss and reflect on what you've heard um, to sort of develop your own frameworks and connection to movement work. Um, so we're going to be setting out breakup groups and some of on our speakers are also have really generously also offered to be in those space and to be in conversation with everyone here. Um, and then we'll drop the discussion box, the discussion doc again in the chat so you can use that to see all the questions. Um, and then there's little boxes for each one of the groups if you want to share any key takeaways or things you want to share. Um, so the questions. Um, and thinking about the challenges named around mobilization and organization, both that quote from Ture, as well as the work and what the uh, speakers have talked through today, um, how does this relate to the struggles slash issues you are interested in solving? Um, the next part is sort of thinking about this last question about what is the revolution we're building towards? Um, how are the responses that you heard? How do they align, expand, and challenge uh, your idea of what our collective work should be leading to? And how do you see yourself part of this vision? Um, also, again, discussion. There's so many things that can grow from it. So if there's anything else you want to talk through, please share it with your group mates. And if you have new questions that you want to ask our speakers when we come back for Q&A, you can also put that in the audience question section in the Google Doc. Politicians do not take time out to organize the community. As a matter of fact, they appear to be afraid to organize uh, the community. But um, reality and truth tells us that the only way you get power is when the people are in fact properly organized. That's our major task is to organize our people because we really have no power. Mobbing with the home haze, yeah, you know we roll deep. Solidarity carried through youth and OGs. Movements buried like seeds rooted in unity. We connect from the west to the east. I pray for peace. Then put prayer into practice. AOM the masses. Then go and take the prism of this system. Flip that shit on its axis. Guarding the worlds we imagine. Pro people tactics. When the government says violence, some silence for those that we've lost. Use the ashes to nourish work on the ground of these stolen lands that we stand in. Fuck a fascist, cause the state is reactive. We know this war's gonna be protracted. Most of y'all don't put action to words you be rapping. My poetry's revolutionary praxis. Hope. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. We work against the clock as it's hitting its hot. Cycle so vicious, seems it never stops. The hustle and bustle caught in some trouble. Cause rent it won't tumble. Surf landlord with knuckles. 15 an hour, still it won't cut it. Driven to limits, expression is for it. Seeing how this country did all of my relatives. Lock uncle in the cell. Pops never wanna tell how it go down. Beautiful and brown people spilling in the streets. Fuck around and find out it's the only way to go. So each one to teach them to reach some believe. But freedom is an arm's length away. Spray painting the message on the walls. Make the way. Heed the call. Can't wait another day. When doom is at the door, rise up with the wretched in the poor. Bang, bang, flipping change, man. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. 
the population of Asians and penitentiaries are going up steadily, some say incrementally. The slave labor that made America billions has never been reparated to descendants of the victims. The problem with men, they tend to defend their friends instead of fight for femmes and never they lens. If you fucking with Biden or Trump, you dumb. I could give you a million reasons, but I'll start with one. Persecution of people deemed illegal is evil. Children separated in cages looking feeble. Fascists are here, fascists are here. Better organize your block and stock up on gear. The man in the mirror ain't sitting on hands. We working on plans, writing up a list of demands. It's in your hands to flip the script, flip the switch. Wake up from this dark abyss, I'm pissed. Rich that run the world with an iron fist and hurl. More violence to get on, gripping that white girl. Pour that plow, workers that wipe their brow. Rise and rebel, inspired by Chairman Mao. The how, the what, pain in your gut. Brain analyzes the pain and decides it's had enough. The rough, rugged, and raw proletariat are leading the charge like steeds pulling golden chariots. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. I've been organizing, I've been through these city streets. Holding up picket signs, mobilizing steadily. Responsibility for organizing our people rests on each and every one of our shoulders, not just on one person's shoulder, not just to eat on the community, not just a preacher, but everybody has a responsibility to help organize the people. And perhaps in our discussion today, as we said, if this can come across more than anything else, then we will have served our purpose, that is, the responsibility for organizing.